Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be back here. I was with you a few years ago. Uh, you were in another building, a different place, but um, enjoyed uh, my time with you. You were at the t- at the time you were going through the epistle uh, of Paul to the Romans, and I, uh, you got to chapter thirteen about the time I came. So uh, I enjoyed enjoyed that, and look forward to being with you again today. Uh, I want to bring you greetings from the National Association of Evangelicals, and thank you for your partnership and your membership and um, being part of a very large uh, and varied group of evangelical Christians around the world from many denominations and non-denominations and uh, many uh, different persuasions, but brought together by our common faith. I want to also bring you greetings from Uh, the Trinity Anglican Fellowship, which is a small church plant that um, my wife and I and a a small group are working on. We brought some of our team with us this morning. So um, We're not here to steal any sheep, but if there's any, you know anyone who is uh, overwhelmed by being in a mega church like New Hope, and you want a much much smaller congregation, um, you know, talk to me afterwards. well, I was thankful also to be given the title for my message. Oftentimes I, I struggle with what's the right way to capture what I want to say, and so that's been given. It's still evangelical. So I thought I should first just briefly establish uh, that I am an evangelical so that I can still be one. Uh, so I'll give you a short testimony um, as we begin. So I was born into an evangelical family, but that didn't make me an evangelical. Uh, you can be... Uh, born in, in some religions and even some Christian denominations, you can be born into a family and that sort of makes you one of them. Uh, in, in the evangelical understanding, each person has to individually respond uh, to the claims of Christ in their life. Uh, so my father was a pastor when I was born, and, and then shortly after that he uh, became a missionary. So at the age of seven, our family uh, got into a big uh, van and drove from Kansas, where we were living, out to Seattle to get on a boat to go to the Philippines. This is, airplanes had been invented then, but they weren't very common. So uh, we took a boat. Took a bu- took us a month to get to the Philippines. And while we were in Seattle waiting to get on the boat, we were staying at a guest house, and my sister and I, I was seven, my sister was five, we were playing in the yard, and a little boy, not much older than us, came up to us, and he had a simple question for us. He said, are you saved? And, uh, well, having grown up in a pastor's home, I had a pretty good idea what he was talking about, but I said, well, what do you exactly mean? And so he, uh, in his um, eight- or nine-year-old way, gave me a gospel presentation. And so I said, thank you, we'll think about that. And then uh, as we went back into the room into where we were staying, I warned my sister, don't say anything to mom about this. Uh, But when we got up to the room, my sister called my mom aside and said something to her, and then we had a long conversation. And we wound up kneeling down there in this guest room on on a very dusty couch, and uh, I gave my life to Christ. So uh, then we went off to the Philippines, and I grew up as a missionary kid and went to seminary myself and went to work for... um, 
couple of evangelical organizations, World Relief and, and the National Association of Evangelicals. But that's not what makes me an evangelical. It's the fact that uh, I have accepted the claims of Christ in my life and I am, have committed to following him uh, with every part of my being. So last week you heard from Mark Galley, and uh, he talked about how evangelicals uh, are people who are particularly focused on Jesus. We have a Jesus-y faith, as he said. Uh, well, we're also uh, people who focus on the gospel, and that's what I want to talk about. Actually, when I first uh, was uh, looking for a text, because you know, evangelicals are people of the book as well, we're, we're committed to scripture, and we want... Um, always to base our thinking on, on the Holy Scriptures. So I, I went to BibleGateway.com, and I looked up uh, the word evangelical so I could find a good text that would talk about what it means to be evangelical. And so to my surprise, uh, I came up with no results. There's no, there's no verse in the whole Bible that says anything, has that word evangelical in it. And I thought, oh, now what am I going to do? So then I thought, well, let me look... For the word still. And thankfully, there were a good 297 references to still. You know, there's the well-known verse, be still and know that I am God. Uh, but then I realized that uh, that was using still as an adjective. And in your title, still evangelical, you're using it as an adverb. So then I came to Matthew 15, 16. Are you still so dull? But then I thought, if I preach on that, I probably will never be invited back. So, so let me keep looking. And then, of course, uh, we know that the word evangelical, the root of that is evangel, which is another word for gospel, and the Greek word euangelion. And so I looked up the word gospel, and lo and behold, there are 92 references to gospel in the New Testament. And the book of the New Testament has the most such references is the Epistle to the Romans. has 12, mentioned 12 times. Half of those in the first chapter. So then we came to chapter 1, which is the text that I want us to look at this morning. And so let me just read. I'm going to read uh, from uh, the first four verses and then from 14 until 20 from Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then skipping over to verse 14, just for sake of time. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So the theme verse here uh, I take as uh, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. <clears throat> and I think this question about am I still evangelical, do we still claim that label to be evangelical, I take it to be related to this question, are we ashamed of the gospel? And so in our small congregation, we always have a reflection question, so I want to give it to you now so you can be thinking about this. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Not, are you ashamed of Christians who do embarrassing things? And we could make a long list of, of those. Uh, whether it's TV pre- preachers with their uh, fundraising um, campaigns, <coughs> Or to more um, serious matters, such as the um, pastor who publicly burned the Quran, uh, to even more terrible things like uh, that have been done in the name of Christ, such as the Crusades, uh, the defense of slavery, the defense of the Holocaust, sexual abuse. So we can make a long list. So I'm not asking, are you ashamed of people who claim to be followers of Jesus, who do things like that. But are you ashamed of the gospel? And so, of course, the first question we come to then is, well, what is the gospel? And I wonder if you might just take just a moment and turn to a neighbor and and give a one-sentence definition, what you think the gospel is. So just, if you could do that right now. Okay, did, how many of you had something about good news in your definition? Yes? Okay, so uh, the, the word actually, uh, gospel in, in the Greek, it actually uh, could refer not, not, not just in a religious sense, but in any sense to good news. And for example, uh, if you came back from a battle and you'd won, you would be bringing good news about the, the battle. Or if you happen to be a fan of the Washington Capitals, maybe you have good news about the Stanley Cup. Uh, but of course, in the, in the scripture, the good gospel refers to the good news uh, of Jesus Christ. And so we'll just look at a few uh, things that we can learn from the verses that I just read to you. And if you have a Bible or New Testament and want to have it open to Romans chapter 1, that would be, you can, you're welcome to follow along. But the very first thing that we see in the very first verse is that Paul said he was set apart for the gospel of God. It's not the gospel of man. It's not the gospel of any ideology or political party. 
And parenthetically, when people talk about concern about being called an evangelical, they're often responding to a false uh, definition of evangelical that makes it sound like it's a political commitment. But the gospel is not the gospel of any party. It's not the gospel of wealth or power. It's the gospel of God. It's the gospel that comes from God. Secondly, in verse 2, it's the gospel that was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the, the content of the gospel is not up for grabs. The, the gospel is the good news from God, and it's the news that God has revealed through his prophets, and that we can find available to us in the Holy Scriptures. And a commitment to the Holy Scripture as the final authority is, in fact, one of the other marks of what it means to be an evangelical. You're probably familiar with the historian David Bebington, uh, who's a, probably the most has given the most influential uh, description of, of evangelical beliefs, and, and the commitment to the authority of Scripture is one of those uh, commitment to the um, the need for conversion, uh, for the um, fact that we need to share our faith and live out our faith in in whatever we do. And um, missing one, um, I wrote it down here somewhere. The uh, the focus on the cross and the the fact that uh, Jesus through his death, resurrection, ascension. Uh, it provides for us a way of salvation. So if you are playing charades and you want to introduce an interesting topic, just talk about the Bebbington quadrilateral and see if you can act that one out. Um, so so at Scripture, uh, the gospel comes to us through the Scriptures and through the Holy Prophets. And then thirdly, it's the gospel in verse 3 that regard, is regarding God's Son. And here... Uh, we see that Jesus is both fully human and fully God, a descendant of David, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, a Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that's the, the commitment that Mark was talking about last week to our focus on Jesus. And then if we turn over to verse 14, we see that the, this gospel that comes from God and that is revealed by his prophets in the scripture. This is a gospel for everyone. And it's for the, the Greeks, who were the sophisticates of the day, uh, the educated, the cultural elite. We might, in our context here, talk about the East Coast elite. And I assume that all of you are part of that, since you're here on the East Coast. Um, but the gospel is not only for the elite. The gospel is for the rest of us as well the non-Greeks or barbarians, uh, the people who live in the flyover states. The, the gospel uh, invites people of high and low and all medium statuses and states. Uh, Paul was eager, he said, to visit Rome, which was the capital. It was the Washington, D.C. of its time. Um, but uh, not to build a church as an elite club, uh, but rather a church that included uh, people of wealth, but also slaves and prisoners. And Paul himself was one of those who was 
um, who became a prisoner. So the gospel is for everyone, and that, as we'll see, becomes in some ways a stumbling block. Uh, Then in verse 16, the gospel is the power of God. Or as William Sanday puts it, the gospel has all of God's omnipotence behind it. So a gospel is not just a utopian vision or wishful thinking. Uh, think of the, the, the song by John Lennon, Imagine. Well, we can all imagine uh, what a, a beautiful world might be like, but if we don't have the power of God, uh, it doesn't become a reality. Or Rodney King asking, why can't we all just get along? Well, God has given us, through his power, a way to get along. But without God's power, uh, we are lost in our divisions. Next, uh, continuing in verse 16, we see that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And salvation is a rich biblical word. We don't have time to unpack it uh, in detail here, but it, it is often truncated to mean something like, uh, I get to go to heaven when I die. Or on some other churches, it could be seen as social justice and an end to poverty. And in fact, salvation encompasses the whole range of God's loving purposes in our world. Uh, it means, in a negative way, that we are rescued from sin from God's wrath and judgment, and positively that God imparts to us eternal life, a life that starts now and that continues without end. Salvation is the removal of dangers uh, that are menacing to life, and the consequent placing of life in conditions favorable to free and healthy expansion. In other words, God wants us to flourish as human beings, and God has made it possible through his gospel for us to do that. Then we go on to see that this gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So we see that salvation is an interactive relationship with God. It's not something done to us or forced upon us. It's something which we must embrace to receive God's power and the benefits of his salvation. We must respond. We must say yes to God. So, what are the obstacles, or why would people be ashamed of this gospel? It's such good news. Well, there are several that I just want to point out. Uh, One is that As we know, not everyone believes. And so there are a lot of people who want to say that it doesn't really matter what you believe, that all of us uh, are more or less on the same path. We have different labels, but in the end we're all going in the same direction. Uh, That seems uh, empirically uh, disprovable and uh, rather counterintuitive, but that is a very common assumption that people have. And so when we come here to the, this stark reality that the gospel is, is salvation to those who believe, that's something that is not received well by our modern culture, and it's one reason that sometimes uh, we may uh, be tempted to feel ashamed when we're with those 
uh, who don't believe. <clears throat> A second obstacle, uh, the gospel requires us to embrace the other, those who are different from us. And many of us uh, would prefer to be in a, in a club with people who are similar to us and uh, those who are not of our tribe, well, they can get together somewhere else. Uh, but the gospel, gospel, Paul said, is a power of God that brings together Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian. It, it helps us to overcome uh, divisions. Uh, but sometimes, and for some people who don't like that, uh, we may be, be ashamed uh, to articulate that to them. The third obstacle is that the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals God's character. Uh, we see God's character, we're told, in nature, um, but much more in, in detail in Scripture. We see God's moral design in the law that he gave, uh, the instruction manual that tells us what it is that enables human flourishing. But, of course, we know that each of us has our own wills and that our wills often are not aligned with God's will. And so, for those uh, who want to follow a different path than the path of God's righteousness, uh, the, the gospel is also a power of conviction. And so, that can be uncomfortable and we can be ashamed. Then, fourthly, uh, the gospel reveals... To us, the wrath or the anger of God. Now let's pause here for a moment because a lot of people don't like to think about an angry God. But what is it, do you think, that makes God angry? What kind of things would God be upset about? Can you imagine a God who never got angry? What kind of God would that be? And what, what, yes. Yes. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Indeed. And when we think of God being angry, uh, we should think of a God who is so committed to us, who wants to say to us that we matter, that our decisions matter, that our moral lives have consequences. And God is rooting for us. In fact, the predominant image of God is a God who loves us. And because he loves us, that's why he gets angry uh, when we are hurt or when we are hurting others. So these obstacles are offensive to modern ears. Uh, We... A lot of people don't like to hear about the God that is revealed in the, God, in the Bible uh, because it contradicts uh, some of their uh, presumptions. There's a well-known hymn, I'm sure you sing it here, called In Christ Alone. It has these words, Till on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Very important concept to understand that God's wrath, God's anger, is just. 
and that it was the sacrifice of Jesus that makes it possible for us to be brought into relationship with God despite our sin. Well, there was a uh, request given to the authors of this hymn. Uh, to, they would like to, to print this hymn in their, bullet, in their uh, hymn book, but they want to make a small change in the words. So it would say, Till on the cross where Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. And certainly, the love of God is magnified by the cross. We can, uh, we can affirm that. But the authors declined to allow their hymn to be used in that way because they felt it was very important for us to recognize the wrath of God is part of what makes the gospel the gospel, the good news, the good news that uh, we can be made right with God. So, still evangelical? Well, if that name, evangelical, means one who is not ashamed of the gospel, then I say yes. I'm still evangelical. And now the question is to you. Are you ashamed not of the word evangelical or the label, but are you ashamed of the gospel? Or do you embrace the gospel as the gospel of God delivered to us through the prophets and the holy scriptures showing how we can be reconciled with God, how we can be united across differences that keep us apart, and how we can then become one and live that life of human flourishing that God intends for each of us. So my prayer is for each of you that you will, in fact, be among those who believe, and that your beliefs will grow in depth, and that you will then share your beliefs with others. So perhaps as we close, you could think and ask this question. Is there someone to whom God is calling me to share this good news, even in this coming week? And I would guess that for some of you, there is a person who, even as I said that, immediately comes to mind. And maybe it's someone that God's Spirit has been speaking to you about. And if so, as we pray, could you pray for that person and for the opportunity to share with them? And perhaps for others of you, uh, you, you don't have a specific name coming to mind. And so then I would ask that then you pray that God will open your, art, your eyes and your heart and make you aware of those divine appointments that he brings into your life in this coming week. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious God, you have reached out to us While we were yet sinners, you sent your Son to die for us, that we may be reconciled to you and to one another. Help us to believe and to receive your gospel into the depths of our heart. Help us never to be ashamed of the gospel but rather help us to live it and to share it wherever we go.
Give us those divine appointments even this week that your gospel may spread to those who perhaps have not heard it or perhaps need to hear it again. Give us your words and give us lives that back up those words as we become bearers of your gospel, of your evangel, to people near and far. We pray in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen.